The world as we know it continues to evolve and change into something that we can only hope to understand. This is why the registry continues to provide industry insights through personal interviews with the leaders who are shaping real estate on a daily basis. By subscribing to our podcast, you are helping us in our work, and we will continue to deliver programming such as the one you're about to hear. Please click the subscribe button and let your friends and colleagues know about us. It will help you and the industry stay ahead of the game. Today we sit down with Daphna Kaplan. She's the founding CEO of Cassette, a Los Angeles-based fully integrated modular system provider. As a veteran of both consumer tech and construction industries, she observed the need for a tech-driven innovator committed to working through and with the people that make buildings happen. Cassette sells its own systems with a wraparound service model and also offers these services independently of its own systems for the benefit of the larger industry. Welcome to the pod, Daphna. Daphna, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Doing great, Vlad. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Where do we find you today? I am in my home office in Los Angeles, California. Okay, excellent. Like like most of us are, right? Working from home. Yes. And... <laughs> I, I Just for a change of scenery, I go back and forth to my office three or four times a week, but there's nobody there. Yeah. It's just more, more for my own mental health, right. but today I'm home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Well, I think that's that's actually very good that you have that opportunity. I think a lot of people would like to be able to do that, or you know, it's not it's uh, it's not something that's accessible to everyone. But uh, that that is great. Great. Well, Daphna, by way of introduction, would you mind telling us a little bit about you know your company yourself, kind of what what you guys do and how you do it? Um, as you know, I have a company called Cassette. We are a modular and industrialized construction system provider. So we design and engineer great systems for modular construction. We particularly focus on the multifamily space, um, multifamily, but including hotels, student housing, co-living type modules. And we uh, deliver those with sort of a full suite of services that are required or we believe are required to make modular successful. So that goes everywhere from design assistance on the front end all the way through logistics planning, strategy, and actual installation and connection on the project site. Great. And how long has the company been around? We're quite early stage, but not as early as it might appear. So we formed the company early in 2019, but mostly were doing research and supply chain and design engineering at that point. And in that process, we're also procuring some key players and partners in our delivery strategy. So we didn't actually open our doors uh, for a soft launch until earlier in 2020, sort okay. of beginning of 2020. And we started with some pre-development agreements and uh, more professional services contracts with clients that were not yet ready for production orders, but were very early in the stages of planning their projects. So really 2020, I mean, this is our first year in business. Yeah, yeah. Well, you you picked a, you, you picked quite a year, Daphna, to get this thing off the ground. <laughs> Yeah, we, um, you know, go big or go home. Yeah. So, or go home and then go big, I guess, yeah, with yeah. COVID. Well, I think, I think we, we, we joke about it, but I, you know, and we'll touch upon this later on as well in our, in our conversation, but I, I am a strong believer that, you know, this is actually a time when it's probably the best to start a business because I think you're, 
really focused on on sort of ex- on really great execution and making sure that you know there's revenue and things like that because you you have to right it's true i mean what i would say is that we even before covid i think uh, maybe it's just our nature as as executives or folks who have been in the executive world for some time i think our business model as we outlined it was such that we intended to make revenue before raising a bunch of money. And part of that was just, I think, our own um, risk tolerance. But part of that was also just seeing a lot of folks get out over their skis in this industry, which can be very expensive to start up. And so, yeah, I mean, COVID was actually a strange blessing for us. So for anyone who's about to go into fundraising, uh, a complete shutdown of the economy is not necessarily a good thing. So that posed some challenges very early. But the the mixed blessing in it was that we had sort of been launched out of a rocket uh, much faster than we had wanted to or intended to because of the demand in the industry. And mm, interesting, yeah. COVID gave us a minute to actually incubate at a rate that was more responsible and smart. And we ended up, I think, we ended up being much better for it and working with a few customers early on that helped us to really learn in some detail what the obstacles were to delivering in the way that we want to deliver and the obstacles that the industry faces in trying to adopt industrialized construction. So we benefited from sort of the extended incubation period. Uh, but no doubt, I was sort of jealous of friends that were off hiking in Patagonia and, right. you know, you, you, using right. this time rather than working 16 right. hours a right. day like us. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. No, I I get that. So uh, let's take a step back here also and and just kind of um, sort of canvas your experience. So you've you've done other stuff in the industry, obviously, right? Tell us a kind, sure. kind of about, you know, tell us a little bit about how all this came about and what was the genesis of, of the firm for you and, you know, how, w- what was that aha moment that kind of made you guys realize, you know, this is what we need to do and this is how we should be doing it? Uh, well, my own background is very mixed. I guess that's not so unusual now as it maybe was 20 or 30 years ago, but I, I spent the first 10 years of my career in the product industry. Part of that, or the largest part of that was in the the high tech and sort of computing industry, I'd say, computer, software, hardware, accessory industry. There was a short stint that I did that was pretty informative to what we're doing today with Cassette, which is that I worked in a company that did OEM tech for the automotive sector. And I think we had nine out of 10 of the top automotive factories as clients. And so in my early 20s, I had quite an education about Uh, factory economics from really what were some of the best factories in the world and largely factories that kind of designed the process innovation uh, that you see, you know, that came out of Toyota and Kaizen and the way that we think about a lot of the drivers of why manufacturing has improved, you know, 2x over anything construction has done over the last 50 years. So a lot of that early factory experience informed how I looked at the prefab world when I joined. I joined the architecture and construction industry about 16 years ago at an architecture firm. And even then, there was a lot of experimentation with architects in prefab, but mostly for the single family sector. And, you know, as I learned later, the world has been doing this for a long, long time. There's nothing about that 
idea that is new, the idea of prefabrication. Uh, what is new is the way that it's being applied in the U.S. And I, I think what's particularly new is just the investment in it and the the changed perception of it as a high quality product as opposed to the opposite, which in the U.S. largely people thought of manufactured housing as sort of the low end and it had a stigma. Right. So there's, right. A, there's a lot of sort of changes that happen. So the aha moment for me, I would say, uh, and there's been many aha moments for us in the business, but what, what really, what led to what I think was more of a leaning in from me and my business partner, Nick Butcher, early on a couple of years ago, is that, you know, as someone from the product industry, when I looked at a lot of what was happening in single family it didn't make a lot of sense if you think about it from a factory perspective, that you would build a single home and you would build it in a factory was more like what the product industry thinks of as prototyping, right? right it's not right. it's not something that has the economies of, you know, really R&Ding and prototyping a product and then running 100, 1,000, 10,000, 100,000 of those product where you get to amortize all of that prototype investment and set up across the run. And so a couple of years ago was really the first time I started seeing some modern execution of multifamily in prefabrication. And it was an immediate aha before I even read about a single company. I think just hearing about it instantly, there was something in me that said, oh my gosh, finally, somebody's applying the right tool right. for the right, for the right job conceptually right it doesn't mean that it was necessarily it's been done or executed very well but in some cases it had and that spurred uh about a 6 month deep deep investigation that that had me running around the world kind of leaning into that hypothesis that okay now this should work and i care very much about the housing crisis that California is ground zero in right now. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I want to understand why is this, where is it working? Where is it not working? Why is it working? Why is it not working? And so that was sort of the first aha moment. And what came not too long after that was just this realization that actually there is a model of this that should work and parts of it have worked very well in the U.S. for 15, 20 years, that there were certain pain points that were very consistent across every modular project that had been done that we investigated in the U.S., every modular company, every developer, every architect that had participated would reflect on what are the things that were points of failure. Yeah, and, yeah. and by the same token, it, it was also the same on the success side, projects that had gone very well. And consistently, modular has shown more game-changing impact than any other innovation you know, in a hundred years in construction, but it's just not consistent enough at this point. So those points of success that really pushed it over the edge were the same as the pain points largely. And it, what became very clear was that there was a, not a way to sort of nudge another company or business model to do this. Almost the moment we started discussing this with other people in the industry there was a, an immediate resonance and we had some immediate partners. And so we found ourselves forming a company in May to, to deliver a different, a different type of solution or a different way to deliver modular that hopefully 
addresses a lot of these pain points in the delivery process. So before we get into that specifically, tell me about this, you know, period of of six months of your deep research and where did you find the leadership, you know, across the world to really Mm. get the idea about, you know, how this should be done? Well, it was it was very open ended. I mean, we didn't um, actually. The first hypothesis was not that modular was necessarily the smartest way to go, and and part of that is because you know, like many opponents would say, you're basically shipping a box full of air, right? So yeah, logistics yeah. end up logistics can end up driving a big part of the economics of it, which on paper might not make sense. And and it actually, that lends credibility to things like what Katero was trying to do or elements of what they were trying to do. And that comes out of some very refined approaches that you see, like in Scandinavia, where you have more panelization, less volumetric modularization. But so we didn't, we didn't have an agenda, really. We, I think, just asked a lot of questions. And maybe that goes back to the Japanese sort of factory approach of the, they call it the five whys, right? What are the root causes of success and failure in each of these situations? And so the leadership, I would say, there's leadership in different areas. There's regulatory leadership. In the U.S., really, New York as a city has incentivized uh, the use of these kind of techniques, and therefore uh, New York is really ahead of the U.S. in terms of adoption. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. A, a lot of a lot of countries where you see uh, prolific use of modular and prefab, it is largely driven by government incentives and changes. So Singapore, for instance, I think all but mandated the use of modular construction in the city, uh, and so they, I think, they put up thirty-five high rises in the last three years okay, that are wow, all modular. Wow. It's a diff- it's a different form of modular. Sure. It's like a yeah. Concrete type one. So there's that, that, there's so many layers in every geography to how real estate is delivered differently that for us, since we wanted to launch in the U.S., it was really about, okay, what, what is it in the U.S. that's different? We can take inspiration, and we did. We went to Japan, we went to Singapore and Malaysia, uh, ended up in Korea, and, and we also visited some of the CLT factories in Western Europe um, just from a, a manufacturing standpoint, manufacturing for construction. And the, probably one of the best factories doing modular in the world, sort of a really different refined process is um, Lindbeck in Sweden. And on the Asia side, Sekisuiheim and Sekisuihaus have been doing, I think, almost 40 years of modular in Japan. But you have to take into account that they're being delivered in markets that have in largely been designed around that kind of delivery system. Right. And so you can't parallel everything, but you can, you know, people have learned 30, 40, 50 years of really important lessons on the production side and manufacturing side that you shouldn't ignore by any means. And then on the U.S. side... You know, the leadership that I think we learned from largely came from those who have admittedly made mistakes because right, where else do right, you, where else right. do where else do you learn but from mistakes? Yeah, and and not to get too deep in, into the into the process of it, but it, as you mentioned the examples in Japan and Sweden and are these manufacturers doing stuff for their own, you know, do 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 they have partners who are actually 
constructing them and then developing them, or or is the system more more closed? Is it you know one company that does all of it, but they also own the factory where these things are manufactured? That is a great, great question. It is sort of different in every case. Japan is more vertically integrated. Yeah. Linbax, I don't remember if they work with a general contractor separately, but they're also delivering. Neither one, I think one of the Japanese factories is also developing, but predominantly, the interesting thing about the Japan industry, and you see this in other places in the world, is that it was born out of the original material supplier. So Sakisui Haim makes a lot of materials that are used in construction. And so it, it had been over years a strategic R&D opportunity to develop new ways of using those materials. And so they are, they're completely vertically integrated in many ways. Lindbax is really, I think, just doing the factory production and installation on site. But in the U.S., what I would say is that you've seen things largely go in two directions. Um, and some of it by design has gone in two directions and yeah. some of it has gone that way because, and let me first say the two directions. So one is, is that complete vertical integration, meaning developer, builder, manufacturer, designer, everything under one roof. Uh, the other would be sort of the other extreme, which I would call, if you're talking about volumetric modular, it would be more like a box factory that just makes the product right, and then right. and then relies on a lot of the other ecosystem that exists to figure out how to make that successful on any given project. We found that quite problematic only because the existing ecosystem doesn't know how to use a manufactured apartment. Right? Right. Or they or they don't they're not sort of that is not that is not the way real estate has been procured for so many years. And it introduces things that the industry is not know or is not used to dealing with. So that's sort of spurred a cottage industry of what I would liken to system integrators, you know, in the computer world where, right. yep. you know, when computers were invented, yeah. they had all of these different types and nothing talked to each other. Right. And so you had this cottage industry for about 10 or 15 years of people who their only job was to help a company buy equipment and then make it talk to each other. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's sort of what you see happening now. I do think that eventually gets absorbed into... What we would say is, I think there is an appropriate level of vertical integration that long term is what people are going to understand to be both scalable across the industry, but also uh, provide some certainty in the delivery of the product. Yeah, and you're talking about some of these hurdles. This is this is primarily in the in the U.S. You're not talking about this globally, right? Yeah, I mean every every region has its own challenges. Sure. So um, every Every country, every city is, I mean, a, an extreme example, right, is China. You can't really use China as an example because they're in the way that we build buildings in the U.S. is largely you have a general contractor that is essentially brokering risk and brokering contracts and sort of qualifying subcontractors. Right. Yeah. And, and sort of an interface in China, a general contractor might have 8,000 employees and they self perform everything. Right. So you don't have the same context. What are some of the hurdles for this in the US? So we talked a little bit about the process itself and we talked a little bit about how just 
how things are done, how things are built. But w- what are some of the things that, that you've encountered here that you're going to have to focus on to kind of overcome the most? I think the the, the two biggest hurdles really come out of something I mentioned earlier, which is this whole risk brokering thing, uh, which is not just the general contractor. It's really the way the entire industry has evolved is really been around risk and liability and failed projects and uncertainty that exists in the current ecosystem. Yeah. Now modular has, and prefab has this promise to essentially shrink those contingencies down to nothing the way the product industry does, but that's, uh, it's not going to happen in one step. And, the industry's contracts and incentivization is not built around innovation. It's really built around risk prevention, so to speak. Yeah. yeah. So, so for young companies, cassette included, the difficulty is, you know, for a general contractor or most clients or most lending institutions, a construction loan, for instance, to get over the hurdle of procuring in a new way and modular might be 60 to 70 percent of the cost of a project so on a hundred million dollar building that's 60 million dollars they're in many cases asking that young company to basically have a letter of guarantee for the entirety of that contract value or you know there are things like that where um the 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 incentivization is not around risk or innovation especially you know banking is the least it's the most risk averse industry on the planet right right and and lending has been a big issue is is my understanding in this space also like they're they're very careful to sort of not innovate <laughs> very it's much true. right it's right. true but where where there is challenge there's also massive opportunity i agree so yeah. you you also see this cottage industry so to speak of lenders that are jumping in on the private equity side wanting to sort of arbitrage that opportunity because there's such a high demand for modular uh, customers who want it are struggling to convince their traditional lenders. And then you have private equity firms and others who are starting to step in and say, oh, well, we've actually found this to be a uh, lower risk than traditional construction, <laughs> right? Because there's no change, there's no change orders right. if it's done yep. well. Yep. So, you know, I mean, that it's a hurdle, but it, it ends up also being an opportunity on the financial side for an innovative financial institution or uh, organization. Yeah. Um, COVID has been described in some ways as kind of a great accelerator of, you know, trends. And basically this, I think, is happening in every aspect of our of, of our lives. Will it be the same for this industry, do you, do you think, also? I think you touched upon that a little bit, but I'd, I'd, I'd love us to explore this a little bit more. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think... You know, our cycles in real estate, even modular, which is a lot faster, our cycles are so much longer than this pandemic that, you know, what I saw, especially on the affordable housing side, when we just, we we literally kind of opened our doors just prior to the shelter in place orders in California. I didn't, the only thing I noticed was that there were the investment community pretty much shut down. So we just decided not to do that for the first, you know, eight months. We'll just, we'll wait till that those markets come back but on the client side customers were customers started to call like there was no difference and so you know it's i think covid affects 
in real estate, what I'm seeing is is where COVID could have some dramatic effects are on the retail use of real estate and office use, um, which our focus is really on multifamily, certainly has affected near term the hotel industry. But in terms of what we're making and how we're making it, it's really more driven by the real estate industry wanting to capture all of the efficiency gains that they've seen for 50 years in manufacturing that have just baffled the construction industry. Right. And so that, that is really, you know, COVID notwithstanding, that's just, that's just a fact and it's going to be a driver. I don't think it's related to, I, I don't see a direct correlation, but that's just, that's just hmm. me. Interesting. But, but I, I thought I heard you say also earlier that opening the company, you know, in this time, in this age was not necessarily a, a, a bad thing. And it sounds like things were kind of moving along, you know, somewhat, you know, unexpectedly, yeah. positively, right? So so where I'm going with this is, do, do you think that, you know, now that we're all kind of evaluating everything in life, including, you know, how things are built, right, mm. that this might be a point in time that maybe gives more more credence or more attention or however you want to call it to, to uh, you know, modular development as well? Yeah, I mean, you could relate, if you wanted to tie a piece of that, I... I... I could try to make that argument for you. <laughs> okay. I, I, and where, where, where it does resonate for me, I think pre-existed COVID, which is that I think one of the reasons in an industry that is so um, risk averse and where it's so hard to push forward in innovation, the reason I, I think, I be, the reason I believe there is a window there, and I believed this two years ago, which is why we leaned into this, is that things have gotten so bad on both the housing affordability and the homelessness side of things, not just in California, but in every major city in the world. And it, that is largely due to, to very similar macro factors mm -hmm. around the globe. Yeah. And sometimes, again, those pain points cause, it takes a lot of pain to change behavior. But especially to to change behavior in an ecosystem that requires maybe six different stakeholders to change their behavior, not just one, right? Yeah, so you're yeah. you're you're trying to ask the lending community, you're trying to ask the real estate developer community, you're trying to ask the government, you're trying to ask all these parties to change the behavior. And what we're finding is in alignment with what we theorized, which is now that we've opened our doors and very quickly become sort of known, at least locally in this space, we are receiving calls from the planning department, from building and safety department, from all of the mayor's offices asking, how can we, how can we help this thing? You know, I mean, there is such a desperation for solutions that collectively, I think people are willing to be more open source, more collaborative, less selfish. And I think those are the macro changes that are going to move this thing forward. Interesting. So so you're basically saying it's it's more the dynamic in the industry and sort of some of the pressure points that we built over years in terms of, you know, speed of delivery and just how fast the industry moves that's now created this you know, unsustainable kind of housing environment, right? That's yep. pushing this rather than yep. perhaps the emergence of a global pandemic, right? Yeah, I mean, the pandemic has certainly highlighted things. And, right. you know, obviously right. homelessness is worse, fear is worse. But, you, you know, fixing construction is not a panacea. 
Um, and I and I don't say that in a way to insult all of my colleagues in construction. I mean, I there is a reason things are the way they are that are very complicated. Yeah, yeah. And fixing construction as a like collaboratively as an ecosystem will will certainly enable the production that we need. So, you know, if you just focus on California, because you're the registry, if you just focus on production, like we're in such a massive housing deficit that even if you could let everybody build housing by right, just the the ability to actually build it and get it done would be a challenge. So modular, if executed in in particular way, you you could address that in a few years, the, the housing deficit. If you're firing on all cylinders with all factories, like, let's do this thing. Uh, so that solves one piece of the issue. But obviously, we all know there's other issues in entitlement, in land zoning, in sure. you know, <laughs> right. neighbor, neighborhood lawsuits. Right. Yeah. And then there's just the sheer economic issues, right? And the, the lending. So, you know, it's not a panacea, but it certainly is a game-changing tool if applied powerfully. Yeah. So Daphna, where are you guys with your with your company today? Do you have um you know a facility ready to go? Um could you you know start delivering projects? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so Cassette as I said opened uh for early business in the beginning of 2019 and we're working in the pre-development early stages with a few clients on their projects. So we have our first factory up and running. We have a system that is well-tested, well-designed, is got four or five iterations around the world, and we've re-engineered it properly for the California market. And so, yes, we are open for business and delivering our first projects in 2021. Great. Um, so during during this time, um, Daphna, what, what, what have been some of the things that have you know, surprised you, both negative and positive, since you know, l- launching? And, and kind of, you know, did, did, did you expect certain things to come the way that, that they are? And you know, did they? Well, I mean, the biggest surprise was COVID. So what can I say, right? You, you <laughs> open your doors, you have a plan, and the life and the world did not go as planned. So maybe the biggest surprise was that at the moment when we saw that the things would likely take, because, you know, I mean, let me back up. We, our last time in Korea was in January and third week in January. And it was when Korea had its first case of COVID show up at the same time that the U.S. had its first case of COVID. And we happened to be there at the time. Yeah, And it was not 24 hours we were all wearing masks, including on the flight home. And so when the news broke in the U.S. that COVID had arrived, we had already thought a lot about our evaluation of whether the U.S. Uh, population was going to be compliant. <laughs> we had no idea it was going to go the way it did in terms of a political football, uh, the whole mask wearing thing. But I think the moment that... Um, there was some prevalence, we knew pretty quickly that it was going to be a year. And so we pivoted our own business model with that understanding in terms of runway. And what we did very early is we decoupled our system purchases with our with the soft side professional services that we had built around them. 
And we immediately started working with customers that were already involved in wood modular projects and other modular projects. Yeah. And I, I think the biggest the biggest lesson learned in that was that once once you start working with customers, whether for your own product or another, is when you really start to understand where their psychological hurdles are in that process. And so I guess the biggest unexpected thing was that we could pivot the business. I don't think we were ever designed to be a professional services business. We were designed to be a product business with a lot of services. And we learned a lot, I think, about our own business and what people were valuing. What people are really valuing right now in the space is a, is some open source help and knowledge. And that's been good for us as well. Yeah, interesting. There's been a lot of things written about COVID, and I don't want to sort of opine on that any further. What I what I would love to do is get your perspective and sort of your understanding, you know, from working in the industry and other industries, obviously, prior to that. What what gives you hope? Yeah, I mean, I think what gives me hope and, and you know, my my intent is for this business to be successful, but I think we have a larger mission, which is um, transformation of the industry. And I, that's really where our eye is. And you asked earlier where one of our ahas was. I think the other aha for us when we launched the business was sitting through a public council hearing on some public funds that were to go to affordable housing. And it was at that moment where we said, the public sector cannot solve this issue of housing and affordability. It has to be some collaborative private sector, public sector engagement. And I guess what gives me hope is that there is a, a crazy amount of investment coming into this industry. Some of that has been a barrier because there's also a perspective when someone on the VC side or otherwise invests that they want a proprietariness. Yeah. And that makes it really hard to, to have the whole industry succeed. But what we have seen is folks who have been in this a good 10 years, five, 10 years, and made some of those hard bleeding edge mistakes. The, the consistent thing we're seeing across the industry with the players who've stayed in it is a real turn toward an open source hey, you know, if we can get this industry as a whole to have shared learnings and to get get across this hump of standardization and, and growing adoption, there is so much value there for everybody that we can be unselfish about that. And I am starting to see that among players in the industry, even after a lot of people have had a lot of pain and financial bleeding there is sort of a common sense and understanding right now that, look, we all need each other to make this work, and we all need to add the value in the place where we can add the most value and move this thing together. So I'm, I'm seeing way more of a collective and collaborative approach, and that gives me a lot of hope. Great, great. Well, Daphne, it was a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you for all this uh, insight. Stay safe. Yeah, you too, Vlad. Thanks so much for having me on. 